The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me uh, to the book of Jude. The children ages 4 and 5 can be dismissed to my left and your right. Um, And as you're turning to Jude, uh, I have three more weeks as your pastor, which I think uh, is just enough time to preach through one more book of the Bible. Um, uh, I'm going to preach through the book of Jude, which is, um, which is not so much a book, and it's really not even so much a letter. It's more postcard than anything. It is a short little letter, 25 verses uh, from Jude. Um, actually pronounced Judas, but we'll stick with Jude for the sake of, of uh, not confusing anyone. Uh, even though this book is small, I don't want you to let it fool you. Don't let its size mislead you. Jude is a book that is, it is packed with a punch. I mean, it is, it is full of this charge to God's people, and I think that's exactly what we need. Jude is going to reveal in, the, in this letter, in the very early portions of this letter, that this is not the letter that he intended to write. That he was writing to this group of believers, and he wanted to write about the common salvation that we share. And we don't know exactly what that letter would have looked like. Perhaps it would have been more like the book of Romans that that walks through and explains all the intricacies of our salvation and the beauty there. But we don't know. What what led Jude to write this letter was was and, and depart from what he had hoped to do was the rise of some false teaching and some false teachers in the church. And so he felt that this was necessary to to write this letter to them. Now I have no inkling that there's any false teaching that's, being, that's going on here, but I wanted to come to a book of the Bible and do what I've done for the last nine and a half years for you, and I just wanted to walk through Scripture. I wanted to be in a book of the Bible. I didn't want to be tempted every week to say things that I thought you needed to hear, so I wanted to come to this and let the Word of God do the work of God through the Spirit of God in this place. And so if you will, follow along with me, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. There are no chapter numbers, so that, you know, don't ask what chapter. It's, it's one chapter, and we'll read verses 1 through 4 of Jude. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ." I want to ask some questions of this passage this morning and let the questions simply guide our walk through these four verses. And the first question is this. The, the central command here of this, these four verses is to contend. So my question is, what does he mean by contend? What, is, what does contend mean even in this little short letter? He says here, Beloved, although I was very eager to write about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. The word contend comes from a word in, in the original language. It's, it's agonizo. It's where we get our word agonize. And it's exactly what it sounds like. 
It is to exert strength to the point of, of exhaustion. It's used of, of soldiers on a battlefield. It's also used of, of athletes in competition. It, it simply means to battle, to compete, to vie for. One commentator said that it, it carries the idea of expending all of one's energy in order to prevail. I sometimes have a recurring nightmare of my days in college. One particular day in college was intramural football. And in this nightmare, I was playing in a, in a final football game in the intramurals, and it was the final play of the game, and we were up, but we were only up by, by a, a slim margin. And, um, and, and, and on the, the lat, they had scored a touchdown, and they were, they were about to go up, and for the extra point, they decided that they would, they would throw this Hail Mary or this pass and try to, to score in the end zone to, to get two points to win the game. And in this, this nightmare of mine, I'm the one guarding the receiver, and as the ball's in the air, I jump, and just over my outstretched arms, the ball lands in the receiver's hands, and they score the two-point conversion, and they win the ball game. Now, I wish I could tell you that that's only a nightmare, but that actually happened to me in intramural football in college days. And the nightmare happens because I relive that so many times and think if I would have only jumped a little better with, with better timing, if I'd only ran a little faster, if maybe I would have jammed the guy off the line, and I have these, these nightmares, and, and I relive this thing, and I have, I, my mind is filled with what-ifs. Well, the, the same thing is happening here. Jude is urging his readers to contend, to leave it all on the field, to not, to not let anything come to the point of nightmare, but instead to not have any regrets, to, to give everything that you have. Jude is urging his readers to leave it here all on the field. He says here he found it necessary to write appealing to them to contend. The word appeal is, is a word that means to urge. It's, it's, this, it's, it's this, I, with every fiber of my being, want to get this across to you to contend, to battle, to vie for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And what Jude is saying to them is, this is no intramural flag football game. This was way more serious than that. Life and death were at stake. His readers, in, in, in hearing this from him, living in a time where persecution would have been rampant, and false teaching was, was coming in and, and, and excusing a lot of other behavior, they would have been on the sidelines fearful of this and maybe shrinking back from contending for the faith. And instead, Jude writes this to them to urge them to, uh, to contend for the faith. They would have been afraid. They would have been ready to turn back from the battle, and this letter was a rally cry. Think William Wallace in Braveheart. That famous scene there where Mel Gibson plays the part of William Wallace, and, and the, the Scottish army has gathered to fight the English army, except the Scots are so small in comparison to the English army. And those men who have gathered there for battle, looking across that field and see the, the vast army of the English, they, they begin to, to lose hope, and they begin to want to, to run away. They are saying things like, if we fight, we will die. We won't, we, there's no need in us fighting. We'll go home and we'll live. 
And then Mel Gibson, William Wallace, rides in, and he says, you're right, and he says these words, fight and you may die, run and you will live, at least for a while. And dying in your beds many days, many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom? Now, I'm not going to yell like Mel Gibson does, but you, you remember, uh, minus the blue paint and, and the expression on the horse, this was Mel Gibson, William Wallace, rallying the, the troops, and they went from wanting to retreat to engaged in the battle. And this is indeed what Jude is intending to do with this letter. And you and I need to know this. We need to know the spirit of this. That This is the spirit of Jude's letter. That Jude understood that it was more than an intramural flag football game. It was even more than, than a, 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 a battle between two opposing armies on a, on a battlefield. Instead, this was a battle for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And when Jude here writes about this faith, he's not talking about the, the action of believing, but instead he's, he's talking about the, the complete body of truth that had been delivered through the apostles, through the prophets. It was about Jesus and the gospel, and he, he knew that, that they had to contend for this, this body of truth. He says here that it is, it is the faith that was once for all delivered. To the saints. And what he means by that is that there is no need to add to or adjust the faith. There's no need to, to add to or adjust God's Word. It is, it is not filled with, with, uh, with errors that need to be corrected. It is perfect and sufficient. There have been those throughout history who have, who have come to the Bible and, and for whatever reason have, have stated things like, that it's filled with errors and, and they didn't have it all right and that God has changed his mind and therefore there is a need for additional revelation. The Book of Mormons is, is one of those. The Koran is one of those. In some ways, Roman Catholic tradition is one of those. It says that the Word of God, the Bible, the, the canon of Scripture is not enough, that it needs to be added to. But Jude comes to this body of believers here today, and he says to them, contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. You see, Jude understood that the Word of God, the Bible as you and I know it, is not like the gallon of milk that's in your refrigerator right now. That may be good for today, it may be good for a few days, but there will come an expiration date on that gallon of milk. And we've all had the experience where we've not looked at that expiration date and wish we would have. And he, Jude understands that the Bible is not like that. Instead, it doesn't have an expiration date. No matter how it clashes with the whims of our society, no matter how out of vogue it is, that the Word of God is perfect, it is complete, it is once for all delivered to the saints. And he urges them with everything that he has to contend for the faith. That's what it means to contend. The second question I would ask this morning in, in our passage is then, well, okay, we're called to, to contend, but who is called to contend? Who has the responsibility for this contending? 
You know, I, I, I've been to seminary, uh, graduated from seminary in, in, uh, in the first time with my master's back in 03. I'm, I'm in seminary now. I have heard numerous seminary sermons from Jude 1 through 4. And, and it gives the impression that, that this appeal to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints is an appeal given to pastors. But that's not what the Bible here tells us. The responsibility is not only for pastors, but look at what it says. In verse 1, it tells us exactly the way letters would have been started out in that day. It identifies the author, and then it identifies who the letter is to. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Now, is that only describing pastors, the professionals, or is that a description of every single believer. You see, the reality is that, that this charge to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints is a charge for every single believer. Every single Christian throughout time, we have been given this charge, this command to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. In the absence of an under-shepherd in the days to come, and during your search for your next one, that's going to be an important point. It's going to be important that you understand that you, church, are responsible for making sure that the faith once for all delivered to the saints is heralded from this pulpit. The last nine and a half years, I have I've tried to be faithful to the Word of God and, and herald to you the gospel as it is revealed in Scripture but the responsibility was never mine alone. I tried to make it clear in every single membership class that I ever taught and in conversations that if I ever strayed from Scripture and I ever wandered off into territories that contradicted God's Word, that it was your responsibility to call me out, to confront me on that. And when I walk away from here, that responsibility will be on your shoulders that you are responsible for making sure that the faith once for all delivered to the saints continues to mark you as a church. It guides you and shapes you as a congregation. That it, it, it determines where you go and what you do in this community. That it's, it's not only important for this pulpit, but it's important that, that you are responsible to contend for the faith in, in all who teach and all who have influence in this place, that you make sure that the gospel, the faith, once for all delivered to the saints, is guarded in this place. Uh, I, I'm not that big of a history buff, but I do enjoy history. I enjoy American history in particular, and, and one of the things that, uh, that I enjoy a little bit about, I don't know a lot, but I, I enjoy reading about, is, is uh, the Civil War. And, and uh, there's, the first major land battle of the Civil War was the Battle of Bull Run. It, it, uh, it, it happened just outside of Washington, D.C., and, and uh, it, was, it was a battle where 35,000 Union troops marched out to head off 20,000 uh, Confederate troops. And in some ways, it was beginning, it was early on, and I think the Union in some ways overestimated their power and underestimated the Confederacy. This is not a statement for either side or anything like that, but, what, but they, they, the battle lasted much of the day, and eventually the Confederate Army actually broke through the right flank of the Union Army and sent the Union, Union Army retreating back to Washington, D.C. 
Do you know that in that battle that lasted much of the day, the citizens of the D.C. area went out that day and took blankets and picnic baskets, and they sat on hillsides, and they watched as spectators as men for whichever side literally contended for their very lives. I'm afraid that there are a whole lot of churches and a whole lot of Christians that are like that. Christians that have forgotten that they have been called to contend, and instead they have settled down as spectators. They've, they've settled down and been content, become content to watch the professionals or watch those with a, with a certain gifting to do the work of contending, while God has not called me to that, surely, but indeed He has. There are churches all around us, even in this Greenville-Spartanburg area, who still take the name of Christ, but they have discarded the faith once for all delivered to the saints. They trample on it daily. They pick and choose what they like about it and what they cannot stand to believe. And as soon as you begin to pick and choose from the faith once for all delivered to the saints, then you have stopped contending for the faith. And church, I would issue this to you as an outgoing pastor to a church that I love. Contend for the faith. Don't compromise on the principles of God's Word. Don't allow yourself to pick and choose. The other extreme of this is not to pick and choose and, 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 to, and to stop contending, but there's an, another extreme that has happened under the guise of contending. There are some churches and some believers that, that pride themselves so much on, on contending for the faith that they have become contentious over everything. The only thing is they've become contentious over the wrong things. They've stopped, being con- they've stopped contending for the faith, and they've started being contentious over things like volume levels and music styles and color of carpet and Sunday night services and things that in the end are, are no long- they're not even prescribed in Scripture, and in the long-term scheme of things, they don't matter. And what I want to do is I want to caution you against, against becoming contentious over the wrong things, but to remind you that we are called to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Being contentious is not the same thing as contending for the faith. And church, the responsibility to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints lives with you, and that's the point that I want to get home today. As I leave you, I am concerned for your future, but I do indeed have great faith in you. Over the last nine and a half years, my my family have come to love you very much. And no matter how you feel, you may be joyful about my leaving, you may not be very happy about it, I don't know. But no matter how you feel, I'm concerned about your future. I I have great faith in you, and I, I believe that these things resonate with you, and I don't believe that you're going to stop contending for the faith. I simply want to stand before you and remind you of these things, that you are called to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Why is this so important? Why does this matter so much? Which is the third question that I would ask today. Like any good Baptist pastor, I've got three questions, three points. Why does this matter? Well, it matters because Jude comes to the place where he realizes that the threat of false teachers is indeed very real. You may may think that in this day and age, 
even, in, even here in the Bible Belt, that maybe the threat is not that severe. But I would tell you that the threat is real all around us. The threat of false teachers is very real. And I want to share with you from verse 4, four truths about these false teachers. Quickly. This is why it matters. Why you must contend, because the threat of false teachers is very real. Four truths here. One, false teachers will not announce their intentions. They're not going to announce their intentions. The first part of verse 4 says, Certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. In other words, false teachers don't show up wearing a name tag that says, Hello, my name is Heretic. It's just not the way they operate. No one shows up and says, Hey, I'm here to lead everyone astray. They're not going to announce their intentions. Instead, the Bible here tells us in verse 4 that they come in by stealth. They come in unnoticed often. Which means, if they're going to come in unnoticed, they come in acting like a Christian. Oftentimes, they appear very spiritual. But there's just something off. And if they, if they come in with stealth, and the Bible here warns us of this, it's important that we know the Bible. They may take us off guard, but... Notice in verse 4, they will never take God off guard. The Bible here says, somehow in the sovereignty of God, that I don't understand, that they were long ago designated for this condemnation. Jesus warned us. God has warned us ahead of time of these false teachers. In Matthew 7, during that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said there, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They come in, they look like sheep, they smell like sheep, they sound like sheep. But underneath, they are seeking to devour He goes on from there in verses 16 through 20 of Matthew 7, and he said, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And then listen to the harsh language that Jesus uses. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. And thrown into the fire. In other words, contend. Contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Battle. Beware. Look for. Zealously guard the gospel. Take extreme measures. False teachers will not announce their intentions. The second thing about false teachers is false teachers will lead others away from God. The Bible there says in verse 4, he identifies them as ungodly people. And that phrase in the original connotes a person that is without religion, that has no reverence for God, who fails to worship. And the emphasis there, Jude is not putting so much emphasis on what they believe. He's not, he's not, he's not talking here about actually what they are teaching. Instead, you'll see as he goes on, he's going to talk about what they do. Oftentimes, you can tell a false teacher not so much by what they say, but by how they live. And that's the emphasis here. Is he says they are ungodly people. They do not worship God with the way that they live. They live in an immoral lifestyle. 
Now, while they, they may claim to believe in God, their lifestyle says otherwise. They have no reverence for God in, in how they actually live, and in doing so, a person who comes in under the guise of, of, of a, a sheep, a Christian, a spiritual person, but who lives in a contrary way, will cause others to think, well, maybe I can do the same thing, and they will lead others astray down this immoral road. The third thing about false teachers, the, the question comes out of, well, how in the world would they lead anyone down that road? Well, the third thing about false teachers is that false teachers will excuse sinful behavior under the guise of grace. Verse 4 says, not only are they ungodly, but they pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. In other words, they, they live however they want to live. They're involved in all sorts of sinful behavior. And then they stand behind words like Jesus' words to those gathered around the, the well to stone the woman. And they say, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And they forget Jesus' words to that woman when he told her, go and sin no more. You see, false teachers will, will, will want to stay in their ungodliness, in their, in their immoral lifestyle, with refusing to repent, and they will couch it under the, the grace of God. And Paul dealt with this in the book of Romans and other places, and when he said things like, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? And he answered his own rhetorical question, he said, by no means. We are not to go on living in sin. We are to, to draw away and be separate and seek to be holy, knowing that we can't earn our place with God, but we're, we're secure there through Jesus. But it doesn't mean that we live in sin. Instead, we, we follow after God with our lifestyle. We want to live holy, and false teachers will not. They will lead others away from God under the guise of grace. And the fourth thing he says there, that false teachers will also set themselves up as God. And I think this is the ultimate end. No one would ever come in saying, hello, my name is heretic. I'm here to proclaim myself God. But in the end, this is exactly what they do. He says there in verse 4, they deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Well, the, the, what's being said there ultimately is if you, if you deny the Lordness of God, then you are proclaiming yourself to be your, only, your, your own God. And that is ultimately what they are doing. They, 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 uh, they creep in unnoticed. They lead others away from God under the guise of grace and ultimately want others to see them as great and glorious and establish themselves as God in that place. This is why it matters. This is why, church, we must contend. And I'll confess to you that partly I came to, to this little letter of Jude for a very unspiritual reason because I had three weeks and I felt like I could probably get through this little letter in three weeks. And that's about as unspiritual and about as transparent as I can get before you. But the Spirit of God knew me even in that and knows that we need to be reminded to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints because there is, there is life and death at stake. The life and death in this place, but also the life and death of those who are outside of this place who don't need a compromised gospel, but instead need the, the pure, holy, perfect, sufficient Word of God revealed in His Word and through His Son.
And so I would challenge you to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, I thank you that you love us first. Lord, I thank you that in your word, your word is so perfect that, Lord, we come to it even sometimes by accident, and Lord, you have great truth for us. God, I pray that that in my own life, Lord, that I would be careful and I would be vigilant to contend for the faith. Lord, that the lives of all the believers in this place and who are listening to me on a podcast, Lord, that that you might spur within us, Lord, a desire to, to be vigilant. That we might hear the voice of Jude in a similar manner to the voice of William Wallace that day. God, we would understand what's at stake, and you might spur us on to say, no matter what comes our way, if I die, I die. Let me contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. God, I thank you that you've revealed it to us. Lord, you didn't have to save anyone, but you did. We're at a place where we owe you simply gratitude for that. We can't earn it. We can't do anything to make ourselves more lovely to you, but God, you in your own grace have decided to save, and so Lord, we thank you for that. God, for the future, Lord, I pray, God, that you would be sovereign as if that's something that could could be taken away from you, Lord. I rest in your sovereignty, and God, I just ask that you would display it so benevolently, God, that you would be so gracious for whatever it is that you would do in the future and do in this day. Lord, would you do it for your own namesake, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you an opportunity to reflect and respond on what's been said. Perhaps you want to come and you just want to commit yourself anew to to contend for this faith. And maybe it requires just making a, a walk to the front and kneeling and just praying and asking God, Lord, make me vigilant. Perhaps maybe it's going to someone in the, in the row next to you and just taking their hand and praying with them and saying, in our family, in our home, Lord, would you help us to contend for the faith? Perhaps as a church, you want to just in this moment, just wherever you are, just lift prayers together, corporately but silently and separately, asking God, Lord, would you make us a place that always contends for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints? If you're here today and you don't know the Lord's Savior, the Lord Jesus as your Savior, I would ask you to, to come and see me. I would love to, ha- to help you begin that and introduce you to him, begin a relationship with him. If you need to come and speak with me, I'd love for you to do so. Whatever it is that the Lord is leading you to today, I would ask you to move in obedience to him. But let's worship God as we respond. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.